Welcome in for a very special from Vegas to the Bay with the one and only, the legend himself, JT the Brick from the Brick Compound, somewhere outside of Las Vegas. I'm How are you, my friend? Good. And that opening was really good, man. The Godzilla and all of that, man. When 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 you add that to the show, man? Uh, the artist who did that. That was beautiful. We, we did did that uh, at the beginning of the season. We kind of relaunched for the beginning of football season, and man, that's why I wanted to have you on here today because we got a new football season underway for the Raiders as well. I still talk with and to Raiders fans all the time, mm -hmm. and I always keep on saying, well, instead of me answering that question poorly, let me go to the source, and I'll have him on real soon. And here is the source. And before we get to actual football, I mean, let's go to the breaking news because all of a sudden JT the Brick is in the uncut Colombian content distribution business. Welcome to YouTube, my man. Yeah, you and my son had a lot to do with this. My son, who just graduated from Oklahoma, wanted more content. You know, I've always been on at night on some big platforms. And I said the nights I wasn't going to be on. Or there was breaking news, which I think I'm the best at that for myself and my content is when there's a walk-off home run in the World Series or a game-winning three. If I'm not on Mad Dog Sports Radio or another platform, I want to be up. I want to talk to people unless I'm out in a restaurant or in a sports bar, and this is the place for me going forward. So JT the Brick, YT for YouTube, and We'll start off. We're not going crazy. We're just launching it, and I'll have this thing up and running like a Godzilla monster in no time, but happy to be there. You had a lot to do with this because I'm seeing how your platform's growing daily, and I'm real proud of what you're doing. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All I can tell you is that all the smart animals around the watering hole yeah. of radio are going somewhere else to eat, and all you need to know about the business and the direction is that we have Stephen A. Smith making more money than anyone else in sports punditry. And I think he cares more about his YouTube channel than any remaining deal he's got with ESPN right now. Like, that's how big this is. Welcome to the single biggest sports bar on the planet, basically. So it's great that you're you're all bought in. And uh, of course you would be. Smart animals always know how to evolve. Well, and also what I do in Vegas on my local show I'm an animal with revenue and advertisers, and I got 13 or 15 of them on my local show, which I just ended uh, from noon to two Pacific time. So again, if I could make revenue at night talking sports for half an hour, the problem with me going forward is consistency. You're very consistent at this. I have a lot of other things, and you have a lot going on, wives, kids, and all of that. I don't know if I'm initially going to be drawn to doing it consistently, but my son who you've met in the past is real sharp. And he says, look, this doesn't work unless you do it consistently unless you know your audience is going to be there and they're going to be there at a certain time. And they're always going to be there. And then you grow it that way because I'm a former stockbroker and I know business and I'm going to go chase the revenue. If McAfee can do it with seven guys clapping in the background <laughs> and my good friend, Stephen a can do it. Uh, who I'm very good friends with over the years. We started, uh, he started after me at Fox sports radio, yeah, I'm open to this. And again, I think the younger demographic is going to want to watch quicker. They're going to want to watch faster. And what you and I both do is we don't need writers. We don't need teleprompters. We don't need people writing our content. We've been doing this long enough that when something happens, we can talk quickly about it and hopefully frame some strong opinions. Absolutely, man. That's kind of what we have done for the last 20, 30 or so years. So now we're just going to do it 
where more people can actually access it anytime they want. Luke 2423 says, I'll be tuning in, JT. Go ahead, give him a subscribe. Of course, JT the Brick YT YouTube, right? Yeah, because some scoundrel, I think, took JT the Brick before I did back in the day. So we'll do that, and then maybe we'll morph it into something else. But I'm JT the Brick on YouTube, excuse me, on uh, Twitter. I'm JT the Brick on Facebook. So that's where you can find it. And if you're on Twitter and you're on YouTube, just go to my Twitter profile or X, and it's right there. The link is in the bio. And I'm going to put my podcast with Looney up there and a whole bunch of other content, like today. Today, this is a good example of, I did one of the best interviews I've done because he said it. I had Jim Lampley on, and Jim Lampley did about 20 minutes with me, supposedly about this Canelo fight coming up there, but it morphed into an analysis of his career and where the world of sports is going now. He's teaching a college class at the University of North Carolina about content, and he really appreciated that we went down that rabbit hole so I'll be able to take that and put it up on the YouTube page, controlling more of my content. So any of your subscribers, I would suggest uh, please come and find me and stay with Damon because he's one of my good buddies. This is the man right here. Go ahead. Give him a like, subscribe, click. All those things you'd never have to think, think you'd have to say into a microphone. You got to have to say him now, but it's the world we're living in. And brother, I want to talk to you. Uh, why everyone is so excited to see you is because you have always been a direct link to the NFL for so many generations of fans. And it's not just NFL football. It's Raiders football. I got to tell you, I came out for the 49er Raider preseason game, Allegiant Stadium is totally spectacular. It's the most I feel like I'm standing outdoors, even though I'm indoors dome I've ever been in. They absolutely nailed it. They crushed it. The eternal flame for Al is just, chef. I mean, they really nailed that stadium, man. Yeah, they did. And again, I'm sure we're going to get into this. The issue that's happening now with the Niners there, regular season, Kansas City, we open with Pittsburgh with all those terrible towels. Everybody's asking why there's so many fans there. Well, there's a number of reasons. I'll jump right in. First off, it's spectacular. And everybody's going through their first cycle of being able to go to Vegas where you can legally gamble on the Raiders in Vegas at the stadium on your phone. <laughs> so people are wanting to spend. I'm a season ticket holder. So if I wanted to sell my tickets to the opener against Pittsburgh, my face value on my ticket, two of them are 380 each. They were going for 1500 per. So the two were going for 3000 And that's not an exaggeration. That's a real number. So fans are going from Pittsburgh or San Francisco or Kansas City. I want to go. I got money. I'll pay for it. And fans are selling their tickets because they can pay for two-thirds of their season tickets in one game and still go to seven out of the eight games. So it hasn't been a perfect look as of late, but it's a good problem to have because the Raiders went from 29th to 30th in revenue into the top five. And if the Raiders figure this out eventually on the field, and that's what they're trying to do, they're going to at least have the money and the revenue and the stadium and the practice facility where players are going to say, yeah, I want to go to Vegas and pay no state taxes, play in that gorgeous stadium in that unreal locker room, the practice facility, have a house on the mountain on the golf course, but you got to win games. Got to win games, and the Raiders are out of the gate after a 1-0 and start, 1-2, and and that's very concerning to me because they're a better football team than the product they've put out the last two weeks. I agree with you, and we'll get into all of that. I, I really think, though, you know, look, you don't have to explain the stadium thing to, to me. I Like, I totally get it. 
And it's going to be tough to feel a real home field advantage in there only because that becomes the ultimate dude bro trip around the NFL in perpetuity. Who doesn't want to go to Vegas to watch their their team play? There was a little bit of a deal made with the devil to get this beautiful facility. And like you said, the headquarters and everything. And that's the world that they're now living in. The devil will come for his soul on Monday night with the Packers. Wait until you see how green and yellow that place is for the Packers because those sons of bitches, they travel like almost yeah, nobody that. else. So, um, look, I you know, before we go down the road of, of anything, uh, to me, we got to talk about being down eight and choosing a field goal, because that is certainly the biggest topic around the Raiders and the decision made by Josh McDaniels. Before we get into the minutiae or the reasoning, let me just ask you, did you like it? No, I didn't like it at all, and I was the first guy on the radio to say it. I was on right afterwards hosting the Raiders' national postgame show, which I do, which you can hear all over the country, and I didn't like the decision at the time for a number of reasons. First off, I'm just a guy that if you're in the red zone, get the touchdown. Period. So the Raiders were struggling in that game. They got Devontae Adams. He went off. He had a monster game. He had two touchdowns. So when the Raiders kicked the field goal initially, which got them down to five, and they took the points off the board, it's because there was a 15-yard penalty on Pittsburgh for leverage. I really didn't see the penalty. I was surprised. So they moved the ball up, and now they're right on the doorstep. And Jimmy was under tremendous duress. I'm talking 49er Nick Bosa type of shit we're talking about here. Okay. He was running for his life the entire game from TJ Watt. So on that first play, they checked down to Josh Jacobs for a nice game. Okay. I had a problem with that because the clock's running and the Raiders have three timeouts and the two minute warning. So they're in really good space. Then the next play, the Raiders after taking three off the board on second down, throw this bizarre out route to Devontae right at him. And he didn't even look like he saw it coming. He put his hands up and almost hit him in the helmet. Like, what was that? When he was right there on the eight-yard line and could have ran a seven-yard out and been in the end zone. And then on the third play, Jimmy did something that I don't like. And I was very critical of Derek Carr when he did it because Carr did it often. He threw the ball out of bounds. Jacoby Myers, a great receiver, caught it like five feet out of bounds. And I used it. You'll love this for your Niner fans who are watching. I used the I used the catch. The catch. And I said it in real time. I said when Montana was rolling right and saw Clark, people thought he threw it out of bounds above him. No, he threw it high and he knew Clark could get up and get it. Devontae could jump higher than Dwight Clark on any day of the week when Clark was at the same age. Problem was Jimmy threw it out of bounds and they never gave him a chance. So I think after three bizarre, unsuccessful plays, McDaniels looked at his timeouts, the two-minute warning, and said, man, we can't even get a playoff here, and kicked it. Totally disagree with that. The next play should have been fourth down, game on the line. You throw a high ball, double-team. Devontae would have been double-teamed. You throw it up to him on some fade, and hopefully he catches it. So McDaniels does that, and then if he didn't, you know, if he didn't kick the field goal, the Raiders would have been on defense, still having him pinned back. So you asked me why he did it. I was critical of it. I think at the time, they didn't think they were going to get it on fourth down, and he wanted to live another day. And to his credit, which I don't agree with the call, I don't agree, but to his credit, he had plenty of time to get the ball back and win the game 
not tie the game because he couldn't tie it with a field goal. A touchdown would have won the game. That was what he was thinking. So the way I see it is this. To try for the field goal, I don't like it in either of the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But with three minutes and 11 seconds left, I get it. I get it, because like you just said, you go, you play a good defensive series, and now you are playing to not tie, but to win with the touchdown you still need after all, which yeah. is why everyone was screaming about it at home. I get it with 3.11 left on the clock. I don't get it anymore with 2.22 left on the clock. Yeah. To me, that's the thing that, uh, you know, like, I don't like the decision from either location, but the decision is at least defensible from the first time he thought it through. Once they got the ball back and took the field goal off the board there, that's when I couldn't believe it, JT. That's when I was like, mm -hmm. man, why is he supposedly this young offensive genius coaching so scared in this moment? You don't see any NFL team making this decision. And then I saw that uh, since the two-point conversion was adopted in 94, the Raiders are the only NFL team to attempt a field goal now in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter, down by exactly eight points. And I, it just, it, look at it this way. It, for a, had you just lose, lost the game, okay, the Steelers are going to be a decent team before the year is over. Steelers are going to beat some people this year. If you just lost the game, you lost the game. That's a soul-sucking way, though, to lose the game. And I've read an awful lot uh, from Raiders reporters in the locker room just saying that team was down after that one. Oh, yeah, and they should have been because that's that's a gut punch. First yeah. off, it's the home opener. The home opener, they're giving the ring to the Stabler family, which Mark Davis secured. Mark Davis secured the ring for all the deceased of every player. Junior Seau, Jim Thorpe, and breaking news, paid for all of it. Paid for everyone's ring from non-Raiders too. So the game started off unbelievable. You've been there. Little Wayne performed at halftime. Not a small act. We're not talking about a gal at an NBA game, you know, who's juggling the plates. We're talking a Little Wayne concert breaks out. Everything was set up for the Raiders to win that game. Look, if you can't beat Kenny Pickett in your home opener, it's a gut punch. But to lose the way that they lost the game was a double gut punch because they didn't go down in flames with Devontae. Devontae was having one of those games where he could have went easily over 200 yards and he could have had three touchdowns. And I think once you take the three points off the board, you just get in the huddle. You say, we're not huddling. The clock's running. We're running three out of the next four plays to Devontae. And you have Devontae in motion like he did in the previous touchdown, pitch and catch, Michael Mayer with the two-point conversion. No one was on him. Or even if you believe that Devontae is double-teamed, you got a kid named Hunter Renfro who probably runs the cleanest route I've ever seen in my life, eight yards in. He does this plant one foot, head fake, spin around. You got him. You got Jacoby Myers, who's pretty good. And then you got this kid, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, which all he did was catch touchdowns at Notre Dame in the red zone. So I think at that point in time, it made it worse. And then Josh McDaniels gives a lot of credit to his defense and Max Crosby and says, Hey, get me out of this thing. Go get a stop. And they get it on first down. They get it on sec second down. They're burning their timeouts. And then on the third down, Kenny Pickett easily picks up the first down. And you go, oh, my God. Could we made it a little bit more difficult? Tip the ball. You know, that. So walking out of there. I don't walk out of there. I got to do the postgame show. It, it hurt because now the Raiders go into the Chargers. And Jimmy G's in concussion protocol. On top of that, going up against Justin Herbert, where the Raiders should have been 2-1. and one. And if they lose, they're 2-2. Two and two. And then, Damon, quickly, I think they can get on a run. 
I think they could beat Jordan Love at home. I think they could beat Mac Jones, who they beat last year. The Patriots aren't great at home. And then they play the worst team in football as of today, Chicago. So the Raiders have a window here that they can clean this up. If they don't clean it up, then we're going to have a bit of a problem. No doubt. No doubt. And you said Jimmy G's in concussion protocols. What are you hearing? Do you think he goes in L.A.? Look at it this way. It's guaranteed to be the one home game of the year for the Raiders. The Raiders take over SoFi Stadium when they're there. Los Angeles is their town. Yeah, it's a it's a fair question about that. You know, the Raiders draw well everywhere they go, but not like this. The Raiders played the Cardinals. You'd see the crowd like this. The Raiders play the Rams. And again, there's only a couple of venues that they can do this. What's interesting is, and I think you'd agree with me, protocol has changed with concussions since Tua. It's changed since Tua. And I've been talking about this for a long time. It used to be there was no concussion protocol. You got dinged, you got right back in the game. You got dinged twice, you got back in the game. Then it became you got dinged and you came out of the game. You are going to play the following game. Now it's at a point where it seems like the league wants the quarterback nowhere near television if he's in protocol. Well, what's unique about this game with Jimmy G is no one can tell when he got concussed. There wasn't a play. It was an accumulation of him getting hit in the pocket, but never helmet to helmet, never him going down, cracking his head on the back of the, the grass. By the way, grass, not turf there. So we don't know, but here's what I'll leave you with, with the, on this topic with Jimmy G. If he can go, he's one of the only quarterbacks in this league now doesn't need a play of practice. That was a topic on my show today. Well, you know, if he doesn't practice all week, I said, shut up, shut up. What do you mean? You know, if he doesn't practice all week, he doesn't have to practice a bleep and play. He's been in the league. He's got a huge winning percentage. As you know, he can get on that plane, come there, go, here's we're running this and he'll be fine. But it's tougher to clear protocol now, Damon, because it's a neutral group evaluating these quarterbacks and they don't let you clear unless you're hundred percent clear. To me, the biggest way to miss the mark for the Raiders this year would be to be presented with the Jimmy can't go equation. However, mm. it's brought to you, whether it be right. this week or an injury in the future of this season. I see that Brian Hoyer is sitting number two on the depth chart right now. If McDaniels goes to Hoyer before he goes to Aiden O'Connell, based on what I just saw out of Aiden O'Connell, and you know me, man, I don't like to say nice things about anyone who went to Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to me, a 37-year-old, even if I can expect it for Brian Hoyer, isn't even worth looking at before I would tap into the what might be in Aiden O'Connell, because if this year were to go sideways, like let's say, oh no, they do lose in LA. And then the Packers come in with 80,000 Packer fans in Las Vegas and turn that into a not good day. And then Belichick comes in and then, uh, and now you're in Chicago and you can't lose to the bears. If you right. do, that's really, really bad. If, if it all goes to shit, I hope it's Aiden O'Connell time before it's a scotch of Brian Hoyer time. Yeah, and I think that'll happen. The, the interesting part, I, I did the play-by-play -play on radio for the Raiders in the preseason. You were great, called, by the way. Uh, yeah, you thank great. you. I, I, heard called you every, I heard some highlights, man. You were fantastic. Thank you. I called every Aiden O'Connell play, and I'd like to see him play. Here's what I'd say about Hoyer. Hoyer is one of the most experienced backup quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, dating back to Leather Elements. Problem is he didn't have to play. And he's the type of guy, He's a, I look at two different categories, Damon, of backups. The guy, when you're winning 21-17, the quarterback gets hit. You bring him in, 
and he can manage the rest of the game. He can hand it off on third and three. He can roll out, and we've seen that by many guys. And then there's the backup quarterback that you play and you start, and you go, oh, this is going to be cool. We drafted the guy in the fifth round, fourth round, second round. Quarterback can't go. We're not putting him in the in the middle of the game when there's chaos. Right, you want a full prep week. Full prep week for him and let him go. And then all of a sudden you got Aiden O'Connell looking good. And then the whole world is in shock. They're saying, wow, there's no, I never believed in that. I don't know about you. There's no tape on him. Oh, well, what's, so, what's the problem about that? Every NFL head coach is preparing for the last five years of their career against Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, all these guys. And then they're like, there's no tape. That was the Brock Purdy line. Remember initially, hey, no one knows who he is. Mr. Irrelevant, put him in. Well, same with Aiden O'Connell. I think you get that shock in the first week where he could win. And then if the guy's going to play for a long period of time, you can develop him. Problem is here, they're coming off T.J. Watt blowing him up. And then this Sunday, you got Khalil Mack and you got Joey Bosa. And Joey's not as good as Nick, but he's had some big games against the Raiders. It's funny that you you brought up Nick because, to me, Max Crosby – JT, this guy is playing himself onto that one line. Of, it feels like, you know, edge rushers right now. It's a constant conversation between Nick Bosa and TJ Watt. I, Max Crosby, I think, has officially earned a peek into that conversation. It's not two guys. It's three guys. He is. He's a fucking monster, dude. He is. And he's a great guy. He just had his third year of sobriety. And anybody who's watching this live stream and is sober or needs to get sober. This guy is the best example I've ever seen. He came here. He wasn't sober. His life wasn't going in the right direction. He got sober. It's like a portal opened up. He's the first one in, last guy to leave. But back to Nick Bosa, when I saw that game against the Giants, they saw him. I saw him warming up. I was at one of my client's cigar bars, and they showed Bosa in warm-up with the cutoff tank top on. I've seen a lot of football players in my life. I did a double look at the TV and said, what the hell is that? Because I always knew he was ripped and big, but it just looked next level. Like, holy shit, this guy is bigger than I remember, nastier than I remember. And I think it was smart for John Lynch and Bosa and his representatives to get that deal done because the Niners now are completely different with him or without him. They're such a different team. You cannot win in the playoffs without Nick Bosa, and they did the right thing, obviously. Look, I don't know how many seconds you get as a heterosexual male to stare at another man with his shirt off and feel good about it, but I've I've exceeded it several times looking at Nick Bosa. <laughs> the guy is just a, a freaking Adonis, man. It's 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 like he has a zero or somehow negative percent body fat. There's it, it's it's why it's why no one really got worried about the holdout um, because there was no question that he was going to come in as state of the art as humanly possible. But let, let me just ask you this too, because. Yeah. I think, you know, it, if if this Raiders season were to end in disappointment, I think there's some serious finger pointing to do at the way Josh Jacobs offseason was handled. This was one of the best running backs in football last year, statistically up there leading the NFL in all the important categories. And right now the Raiders through three weeks are dead last in football in terms of rushing yards per game. And Jacobs is under three yards per play. It feels like, you know, 
you decided to f around and might might be finding out a little bit, and it would have been really important to have one of the best players in football as ready to go in a season that's got some expectation attached to it with a new quarterback like Jimmy could certainly learn the tendencies of everyone. I I was really surprised the way they went about handling the Jacob situation. And I think it's snake bit their running game so far this year. You can get granular and get into the game footage to explain away the, the offensive rushing woes. I, I think it's the holdout that hurt this team the most. That's fair criticism. I love fair criticism. I don't agree with you completely on this because the marketplace was hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging on the downside of paying the running back, Saquon Barkley. He's injured now. Let's take that out. Nick Chubb's gone. They just they just weren't going to give Josh Jacobs a long-term deal. And that's a debatable topic. You could say, look, give him a three-year deal, four-year deal, and what happens? Does he come in? He plays? You're probably right on that one. If he has a full camp, in a full preseason, even though he wasn't going to play a game, are they off to a better running start? Very easy to say. I falls forward for three and a half yeah, yards. Very easy to agree with that. But the point was, you know, the Raiders are looking at their entire budget going long term with all this revenue coming in here, what they're going to do. And in a marketplace where they had the franchise tag available for them, that, that's when you use it. Unless you want to be the only team, the only team, that says, no, we're going to pay for the running back and give him a long-term deal. In theory, I thought he'd get a two- or three-year deal because he's young. He deserved it, and he led the league in rushing. I don't have a pushback for you on that because now with a one-and-two team that's almost dead last in rushing, that's very easy, low-hanging fruit. And for a guy like me embedded with the team, I can't argue that. But he better be the guy that gets him out of this because let me tell you, forget what you think and I think. If he If he has the numbers that he has now, at the end of the year, what situation is he going to be in? So the offensive line isn't injured. No one's banged up. Pretty much the same old line he had last year. But, Damon, it's week three, and I've been doing a lot of podcasts and radio on this topic. I want everybody's team to be 2-2. Two and two. Niners are different. Eagles 3-0. and oh, Those are elite teams. Buffalo lost the first game. Sky was falling. Joe Burrow shouldn't have played the other night because he's really injured. And you know that a calf can become an Achilles especially in the Bay Area. We've seen Durant, all other guys in different marketplaces. Calves become Achilles. He made an interesting quote. He said, look, I looked at the risk and reward, the risk of playing or the risk of going 0-3. So he, he decided to play. The league is in a bleeping panic. And I, I know this and I embrace it every year. I want everybody to be 2-2, two 3-3, and 4-4, two, three and three, four and four, because then those fan bases have hope. Once you go 0-2, one and three, you be go, you become two and five, three and seven, five and eight, and the whole year is shot. You're missing the playoffs, you're not participating, and then the offseason is from New Year's Day to September. Look at that on a fucking calendar. That's forever. <laughs> so if you don't make the playoffs, it's because you started off 0 oh and 2, 1 and 3, you became 2 and 5, you were 3 and 7, and then you check out. And I don't want to see that happen to the Raiders. I know how good and talented this team is. They're one draft away on defense. And the quarterback situation is dicey. Jimmy G is not the long-term answer. We want to see him healthy. But with Max and Devontae and some of the players they have, if they have another good draft, which they haven't in a while, and a good free agency with the money they have, you know, then Raider fans can go, that could be a 10 or 11 win team. 
But the way they are now, it's every man up going into L.A. against the Chargers, and the Chargers are a team that should be 0-3. How Brandon Staley, he wouldn't have coached this game against the Raiders if he lost going for it on fourth down in Minneapolis. If he loses that game, I don't think he coaches this game Sunday. I think they fire him and let Kellen Moore coach this game. And now the Chargers once again have renewed life because they won a game. The pressure to win in this league is suffocating. It, is. it really is. And that's the drama. That's why we love it. That's why we are addicted to it. And it, it while every other sports regular season is devalued to the point of, you know, we literally say, like, call us when the playoffs start sometimes. Look at what the NFL has to offer. It's just, it's the best. Well, I, the NBA, to interrupt, the NBA is the best example. The NBA is the worst product in all. I mean, baseball has something called opening day, right? Where on opening day, someone can hit three home runs or pitch a one hitter. And you look at hockey, opening night, we've won the Stanley Cup here in Vegas. Opening night, banner. These guys are checking into the board, slashing. It's full speed. The NBA, they, they don't even care until Christmas. And now the commissioner has to put this little fake tournament in to engage the players to play hard the first month of the year when they normally don't show up and play any defense. You're right about the NFL. It is go time week one. And week four or five, you better figure out how to salvage your season. Who's the Raiders' best defender? Easy answer, Max Crosby. Who's the second best defender on the Raiders? Not such an easy answer. Who is it? No, it's it's probably Marcus Peters who dropped the pick six. That would have ended the game. Let me repeat. Raiders score on the opening drive. Devontae touchdown on fourth down, a bomb. Talking about McDaniels not going for a kick in the field goal. Fourth and one, he throws a bomb to Devontae. Next series, pick six, hits Peters in the hands. It would be 14-0, completely different game. He's a good player, veteran. And then after that, you look around, and it's a bunch of guys. They don't, they got Devon Diablo, Roberts Spillane at linebacker. They got Epps, who played in the Super Bowl with the Eagles. He came over as their free agent safety. And then you look, Jacorian Bennett is a rookie corner. Where's number zero? That takes balls. Never <laughs> played a game. You're going to wear number zero in a franchise that have double zero and Jim Otto. And then, uh, again... This is pretty funny, by the way. Do you think anyone... Hold on. Look who's calling me. You can see. Fred Bolitnikoff. Oh, how cool is that? I'll just let that go to voicemail. That's a cool moment as we're talking Raiders. They drafted the number seventh pick overall in the first round. Number seven overall, Tyree Wilson. He's been coming off an injury in college. He hasn't popped yet. So it is Max Crosby, Damon, and everybody else. And they got to get better players. Do you think anybody even has the awareness at the age of these kids now who are playing in the NFL to walk up to them and be like, number zero, that's ballsy. Do you think yeah. they're even aware? No. <laughs> well, look, Josh Jacobs changed his, he led the league in rushing and changed his number from 28 to eight. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like he, that was his high school and college number. I get it. Okay. He, I guess he wore it and that meant something to him. So now the league, you get an opportunity to wear your own number and you go from leading the league in rushing to number eight. I mean, I don't care what people, how they comb their hair, if they have tattoos, what their numbers are. It's none of my business. These guys are rich. They're young. They're celebrities. They go to the bank every two weeks and there's, the, there's, there's a deposit after taxes for $876,000. They drive whatever they want. They fly privately. And do all that, but uh, yeah, it's a new generation, man. Wear whatever number you want. Hey, uh, 
you know, it, it is amazing the the access, the privilege, the prestige that comes with being a professional athlete. And it's also, you know, just kind of like the music business, it also eats guys alive. Um, it can be a savage business. The pressures are real. The anxiety can become real. Uh, the outside influences, the negative influences can all become real. And we've seen, thanks to social media, and maybe you can take us inside this incredibly complicated, sensitive situation that we've seen kind of go on with Chandler Jones. W what is going on there, JT? It looks like, uh, I, I don't even know what it looks like. It looks like the man needs some help, and I hope that he's getting help that he appreciates and is inviting. It's There's a lot going on. Well, again, this is a tough spot for me because it's a private matter, and that's the way the organization is handling it. I will just tell you from what I know, the Raiders, the Raiders, when they saw this happening, when they saw him and the situation he was in, the Raiders were very proactive to get him help. I think everybody understands that. If you've been watching Chandler on social media, if you've seen his behavior and what was going on, it wasn't anything the Raiders caused. The Raiders didn't do anything to trigger him. The Raiders saw something, I believe, this is just my opinion, happening here, and they tried it. They loved the guy. They went out and paid him a lot of money. They brought him in. This regime that came from the Patriots loved him as a Patriot. He was a great player. He had the same stats as Michael Strahan at the same age. So he was looking at a gold jacket, not saying he's going to get it, but he was looking at it. And in a world of mental health, in a world of personal issues, in a world of social media, it's sad to see something like this. So I think it'll all come out at the end of what he was dealing with personally. And I hope people understand that the Raiders have, the Raiders are known, and I know you know this, they're known for the way they treat their former players. In well, let me, let me just say this. So you and I, We've been talking football for the better part of 20 years. You and I have ended some of these conversations crying, laughing so hard. We've ended some of our conversations angry at each other and yes. walking away and not calling each other for six months. <laughs> um, I've been critical of Mark Davis. I think some of my criticism is completely well-earned. You've defended some of it and you've taken great. You've always said, if you could just know the guy, well, I never been able to get to know the guy, mm -hmm. but I did see what Chandler Jones put out. And it wasn't Mark Davis making it public. Chandler Jones put out the text that he received from Mark Davis. And as I read it, like, you know, a lot of Mark Davis, I'm not expecting much, but I read it and I thought that was the single most well-crafted, compassionate text back to a player in crisis any NFL owner could ever have hoped to have written a-plus Mark Davis, and there really is something real yeah. about the Raiders family. And I know that if you say that, you'll be accused of being on the payroll and home cooking. I'm saying it. As one of the harshest critics of the team, the man, the franchise, that was uh, a, a profound look into what Mark Davis really believes and who he might be. Yeah, you know, when uh, look, it's very easy for me to defend Mark Davis because he's my friend. Before he was my boss, I knew Mark Davis when he wasn't with the team, when Al didn't have him with the team, and I worked for Al Davis. So Mark's been my friend and now my boss. I'll always defend him, and when he makes mistakes, he tells me about it first. We know he wants to win. We know he loves the alumni. We know all of the money that he has, and now that is exploding into the stratosphere. He's putting it right back into the team. I don't have to apologize to anyone, and you've evolved on this, and me and you get along with great friends on this topic. I'm loyal to the people who treat me well. Josh McDaniels, for example, I am, I'm the only guy he talks to. The only guy. 
I have the only interview with them. It's a team interview. So I do it at the facility with the team. The interview doesn't open up. Hey, you're doing a terrible job. Are you on the hot seat? It's a different interview. It's the in-house interview where we're looking towards the next game. If people don't understand that, I don't give a shit. It's not because I'm doing it for my, for a payroll or I'm doing it to put uh, you know a roof over my kid's head. That's what that interview provides is me talking about the team, the next opponent, critical of what happened in the last game and going forward. But in media now, if you defend Mark Davis or if you defend the new owner of the Phoenix Suns or if you're defending you know, the Portland Trailblazers, get rid of Damian Lillard, what they got in return, I live by a, central, a simple mantra the rest of my life. I deal with people the way they deal with me. I'm very lucky to have a lot of friends, including you. People who know me behind the scenes know me well. And the people who don't, I'm not there to defend myself anymore. What's happening here in Las Vegas is something really special. With the Legion Stadium, the Sphere, Circa, which you've been to, F1 coming here. A lot of people looking at Vegas in astonishment, in confusion, going, what the hell is happening here? So it doesn't look right, all of it. Opposing fans. This, that, will the A's come? The Golden Knights, how did they win in six years a cup? Was it fair or not? I'm just enjoying it, man. Vegas has never been this explosive, this topical. What a place for me to have a radio show and other platforms. And again, when I have a chance to be critical, I'm always going to be critical. I'll be Captain Obvious, but what I know how to do is take the high road and show respect and be professional and that will never change. So what do you think the big the biggest public misunderstanding about McDaniels is? Because a lot of people walk into him with preconceived notions as someone who's getting gotten to know him, talk great to him question. on the record, off the record. What, what, what do you think of the guy? That's a great question. I've, not many people have asked me that and even thought through that. Josh McDaniels is the only coach since leather helmets with six Super Bowls, other than the head coach, Bill Belichick. So he's coached so many more games, so many more practices, so many more film studies, so many two-week, bi-weeks before the Super Bowl. You can't catch up to him at the same age of the amount of time he's put into football. But as a head coach, he hasn't been successful yet. So Raider fans, some of them, and most of them get this, but many of them say, well, he came from the Patriots. Who cares? The Patriots been the best team by far. For two decades. That's why they got him. Mark Davis didn't go get someone from the Jaguars. He didn't go get someone, you know, from the Cleveland Browns. He went and got the guys, the GM and the coach, from the most successful team in modern NFL history. And he's given it a shot. And McDaniels wants to win because that's all he's ever done. Of course, with Denver, he took the job very early. That didn't work out well. He's won with Brady. People criticize him for winning with Brady. Do we criticize Tom Landry for winning with Staubach, Bill Walsh? Imagine if people criticize Bill Walsh because he had Montana. We go through all this. He's just a guy who wants to have a life of his family and win football games. And it's a struggle right now. He's not a bad guy. He doesn't have bad things to say about anybody. He doesn't wake up in the morning and try to give people hell in life. He just wants to win. And it's taken some time. So for me, he's a good guy. I think he thinks I'm a good guy. We're just, we have a business relationship and it's a fair relationship, but he knows at the end, Damon, he's going to be evaluated. When he goes from his office to the practice field, he walks by three Lombardi trophies and giant pieces of art of John Madden and Tom Flores. And he sees that every day. 
And I think he brings that to the football field. Just right now, it's a struggle, and the Raiders really need a big pop. They need something big to happen around this team right now, and we're going to see if they have that juice with or without Jimmy to turn the season around. You have always been an event guy. You understand when the blood pressure is up and the 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 hairs start to stand up on back and necks, something special is about to happen. Bigger buzz in Las Vegas. Formula One hitting the strip or the last time Mike Tyson fought? Well, it's it's Tyson by far. Tyson okay. by far. About, you know, Tyson, that's the answer I'm looking for. Thank God there's still Mike Tyson holds a record somewhere. Yeah, when Tyson <laughs> when Tyson fought, it was what's weird is this Sunday night game where the Raiders lost. Mike Tyson lit the torch. Oh, dear. they broke him out of nowhere, and he's there. He's there at the torch, lighting it in the play. But Tyson was really different and unique when Tyson fought. It was very global. F1 is global too, but F1 is tearing up the streets of Vegas, tearing up the strip. The locals There's, hate it, right? The locals, the locals, hate the locals it. don't like it at all. But what is, it's a 10-year deal. People are forgetting. It's a 10-year agreement, and they're moving their North American hub to Vegas. So they built this thing called the Paddock, which looks like half the size of a casino. That's going to be their headquarters, right? Uh, that's where the pit stops are and all that. And then every 10 years, they still have to tear up the strip. They still have to tear up the strip and lay down the new track. We're not going to be racing on a track six years from now, which is they turn it over every year, but it's global. There are going to be fans from Monaco, fans from Montreal, fans from South Africa, and that's just going to enhance Vegas as the sports and entertainment capital of the world. I'm very excited for F1, but I think there's going to be a little letdown because they priced it so out of market that I think now they're realizing a lot of people didn't take the bait on the, oh, it's 10,000 a hotel room a night. Excuse me? Well, for the high rollers who get comped, right. there's no comp. It's 10,000 a night. Or it's 5,000 a night, and people are going, well, I think I'll pass that on that and watch TV. I think when it comes, it's a week before it. When you see those Formula One cars come down the Las Vegas Strip, and going that fast for that long in front of the Bellagio Fountains, and the drones are oh. looking at the sphere and all that. It's the it drone will be shot one of the, the world. spectacular things you've ever seen in your life. No doubt, no doubt about it. And speaking of spectacular, and you said it, the sphere. Brother, get all of your army, all of your minions, everyone mobilized and ready to go for that fish residency. Look, Ooh. I don't even, I'm an old man now. I don't think I can do eight nights, but you know me. I got to be there for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You never miss a fish. You never miss a Sunday show. I know that much. You got to go a Halloween show or a New Year's show for sure. And I'll leave you on this. In my mid-50s, I'm going to the desert trip, power trip. I'm going to see the biggest rock show in the world in two weeks. My wife's like, what are you going oh, to again? Yeah, I'm going to see Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Metallica, Judas Priest, Tool, and my buddies, you know, at, at my age and demographic, we do it. We we, we don't go camping. We, we, we stay at really nice, what's called Airbnbs. So this thing's locked in with wristbands. I'm not going to be standing in the fourth row getting thrown back and forth. We'll be in nice seats, VIP seats. But I'm going to one of the biggest rock shows in the world because I went to Ocella when the Stones played, and that was one of the greatest shows of my life. So I'm going to one of the biggest rock shows I think left, Damon, because you're not going to – ACDC, Metallica, and Guns N' Roses 
are never going to be on the same bill again. And I'll right, be there no. in two weeks. Oh, look, everybody is on a ticking clock in, in that uh, <laughs> that genre right there. Dude, have a great time. Yeah. Uh, you and I, we've been to a lot of concerts together, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we've had yeah. an awful lot of fun. I think you and I were at, uh, what, ACDC together at the park. We might have been at the, a Def Leppard something. I don't know. There was... There was another fish show that might have happened. There was I something. Think it was There's a fish show, and uh, one of my best friends, Tony Cambo, who might be watching, he's been at the Fillmore for thirty years. So, the reason I, I come Tony. to San Francisco now to see you and your family, I don't go up there for sports much anymore for obvious reasons, but I go to the Fillmore. So, if there's a show at the Fillmore that matters, and I get about two, three weeks' notice on Southwest Airlines, I'm coming in, flying into Oakland, of course taking my air bart i take my bart <laughs> right down to civic center and i find a way in a cab to get me up there and see some live music always good to see you brother thanks okay. so much for stopping on by let everyone know one last time where is the the, the man is on youtube he's yes. not just joining me today there's a channel to click like subscribe notify all that stuff give it to him JT the Brick YT YT is for YouTube, not YNT, a great rock band from from the Bay Area, but that's a tie-in too. JT the Brick YT, find me on YouTube, find me on X at JT the Brick, find me on the radio, and you'll see me next time right here on the Plus. I love it. By the way, there's someone who wants to come at things. Say hello. Hi JT. Oh, what a beautiful bride. My <laughs> bride is out working here. Uh, not as hard as you at times, but you look fantastic. Wow, a wife with a tan. Look I, at that. A beautiful wife. She must have been on a road trip. JT, that's all. That's, this is not normal. It's a tan in a bottle. We didn't earn that at the beach. It's a tan in a bottle. <laughs> Good to see you, Jillian. Congrats on the kids and everything going on in your life. Miss you. Love you, buddy. Good Thanks to see everybody. you. Thanks so much for stopping on by JT the Brick, ladies and gentlemen. I was getting a standing ovation for Thank you, JT my friend. the Brick. Out Thank of you, my friend. I'll be back on the plus. I'll be back on the plus. I can't wait to join you on the Brick, baby. We'll do yeah. it soon. We'll sit that up in a couple of weeks. Thanks, bud. There he is. JT the Brick, boys and girls. Love it. Great talking to him. Thank you so much for double dipping with me today. That was worth it. That was worth the price of admission, which is always is uh, completely free. Thanks so much for stopping on by.